I, as a speaker, always love it when I'm in an environment where there's a worship team that understands it's not about them. They just kind of get out of the way and kind of try and direct our attention to the Lord. It just sets our hearts in such a great place to learn. And so thanks for what you guys do and what you're doing here this morning. The thought occurred to me as I think about our first session that it it very well could be possible that you're sitting here this morning and you might not have a golf course. Meaning that somehow you've decided, like a lot of Christians, and I know a lot of Christians like this, who believe that a good Christian is someone who shows up at the right building, hangs around the right kinds of people at the right kinds of times. This morning, you're all good Christians. You're in such a place. You're in the right building at the right time, hanging around with other people who believe and behave like you. Here's the problem, though. Jesus was always hanging around with the wrong kinds of people at the wrong kinds of times in the wrong kinds of places. And for some reason, so many Christians believe that, you know, my idea of being a good Christian is to kind of in some ways be like the Amish that I grew up close to, you know, come out from the world and be separate. That somehow we don't want to get soiled. Somehow we, want, we don't want to be around people who don't behave and believe like us. Um, I think Jesus' big idea is that we'd be in the world but not of it. That we'd be salt and light. That uh, he did something in us because he wants to do something through us. And so it could be possible that your biggest step from this morning would be like, I need to get out of my Christian bubble. All I do is hang around with my small group and I come to church and I'm always in Bible studies and all I'm really ever doing is spending time with other Christians. Your first big step might be just to like join a, a group where you share something in common with other people. It might be a hobby. It might be a sport. I play table tennis. That's my deal. Uh, high levels, I, go to, I play in tournaments and I get a chance to meet lots of people who are outside the faith. By playing table tennis, we share that in common. I don't know what it is in your life, but, but bring it to the foot of the cross and you'll be amazed at what happens when you get out there and begin to meet people who you already have common ground with when whatever it is, it's maybe your recreational pursuit, might be a hobby, but just put yourself in close proximity to people. Now, when you look at this picture... We start session two. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but I think this is the way the American church does discipleship. And the oxymoron, of course, is not, that's not the way Jesus did discipleship. And, and so we've kind of uh, jacked this whole thing of discipleship up because um, the big idea of what Jesus tried to do is he trained uh, his disciples in the ministry, not for the ministry. And so much of what we do in the church is we, we spend a lot of time talking about things, theorizing about things, but we never actually get out there and do them. That's why I took the, the staff of Athletes in Action to Antioch College that day. I said, hey, let's be more like Jesus. Let's train people in the ministry, not for the ministry. So if I had my druthers this morning, I'd I'd have a couple buses pull back 
out back there and say, hey, we're going somewhere today. Maybe we're going over to the campus. We're just going to engage the students today, and we're going to take some big ideas, and we're actually going to get out there and do it. Well, um, this is one of the troubles I have in terms of my calling in my life is how would I take a large group of people out and train them and in the ministry, not just for the ministry? And so one of the ideas that I've had is, well, let's bring the people we're trying to engage to us because it's pretty difficult to get a large group of people out there and do something like that. So um, that's how this idea happened uh, when I was speaking to all the brainiacs in, in the New England uh, area. And so uh, what you're going to see in a moment is uh, two men, Adam and Paul, who are very outspoken atheists, and they were invited on stage with me to have a conversation in front of 750 college students from all the Ivy League schools, MIT, etc. And then they agreed afterwards to continue the conversation via social media with the students because they sat and listened to it, and so they picked up the conversation and they stayed in the conference uh, throughout the time we were there and continued to have conversations with people. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you excerpts from this day, and then I'm going to stop and try to unpack what actually is going on here and with, the, with the big idea that, hey, this is kind of like uh, getting a lesson. You know, you go out to the golf course, you want to get lessons at swing practice or putting, and, and in the same spirit... Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to think about some of these things as you think about the person that you uh, would long to engage um, in a spiritual conversation. Um, what you're going to see here first is, uh, I, I think it's always the greatest place to start. And that's simply, hey, tell me your story. What's your story? Everybody you meet on the golf course has a story. And if you're going to be wise towards outsiders, how do you know where they are in relationship to God unless you find out their story? Now, again, I often refer to myself as a recovering evangelist because as I started the ministry, so much of the time I was always focusing on telling my story. I wanted to get to my God story, and a lot of times I just completely run over people. I never stopped to listen to their story. The reality is they weren't ready to hear what I had to say. But I was so excited to share it, I wanted to do it anyhow, so I dump trucked on them. And just pulled out my dump truck and let them have it, you know? And a lot of times I oversupplied and killed the man. You're going to see here me starting out with Adam and Paul, and I'm basically just asking them, hey, what's your story? And I want you to see what you learn about these two young men as we just hear their stories. Guys, if you would, I mean, uh, this is probably a lot of this is surreal for a lot of us here. Tell us a little, give us a little backdrop on your, the backstory on uh, your life um, and uh, how it is that you came to this place where you would call yourself an atheist and at some point even unpack what that means for you, if you would. Yeah, I'll start off with that. Uh, I grew up in a small church off in Southern California called Saddleback. It's run by a guy named Rick Warren. For those of you that are familiar, decently big out there. But I did that for most of my life, up until about the age of 15. And I'm the third of three kids, and definitely the youngest of all of them. I think what happened was my parents 
stopped really caring at a certain point. Both my sisters are a devoted, well, one of them is a devoted Christian, the other one's spiritual. But by the time I came around, my parents were tired. They didn't want to go over the same stuff over and over. So instead what they did was they read me the Quran, they read me uh, Greek and Roman myths, and they read me the Bible. But they never said it was real. So I have never in my life been able to view it as different than that. Hmm. And after that, of course, go in the military, did that for four years. And it was around that time that I started to notice that being overseas, I had always heard Muslims are a very religious group of people. They pray five times a day, they don't drink. But what I realized was uh, they're pretty much like your average cultural Christian out here. If someone's not looking, they can go do their own thing. They may not go to a mosque on every, other day, every day that they need to. Or if they're busy, they'll skip a, they'll skip a prayer. Hmm. So the, the idea of authenticity seems to be lacking in many of the religions I've seen. Paul, go ahead. I was raised in an evangelical fundamentalist home. So uh, as a Pentecostal church, we, we moved around from Virginia to Indiana. It was just uh, my mother raising me and uh, my younger sister. And um, for a long time, I was very, very religious. Uh, I even planned to become a, a pastor after high school. Uh, that didn't work out. I ended up joining the Marine Corps when I was 21. And I went over to Iraq and experienced some of the same things Adam did. I saw a lot of cultural religion and uh, it really startled me because I assumed they would be much more devout than the average American Christian. So I began questioning my own faith because, you know, how am I right if they're doing the same thing? Uh, and it wasn't more, it wasn't an emotional uh, journey for me, it was more of an intellectual endeavor. And I slowly, over years, fell away from uh, believing and became an atheist. Um, Can I stop you yeah. just for a moment, Paul? Because one of the challenges I think we all face when we are engaging in conversation with people who maybe you know kind of polarized on some some of the ways we look at the world, the language we use, we we might mean different things. When you say you're an atheist, um, at one point having sounds like you believed in God. Now right. you're saying absolutely you do not believe there is a supreme being. Is that what you mean by that term? Yes. Can you unpack that? Yeah, the term atheism. Clearly, like a theist is someone who believes in God, and an atheist just means someone who doesn't believe in God. So when I, I actually came out as an atheist in the Marine Corps, and uh, about 15 or 20 guys came up to me and said, why do you worship Satan? Which was ridiculous, because I don't believe in Satan. So, so right away, there it's, was, it's, you, you felt there was a, the moment you made that comment, the, the, everybody kind of dogpiled on and had you pegged as somebody who was a Satan worshiper. Right. Okay, a rush, they, to con a rush to judgment. Yeah, it was a rush to judgment. They just assumed, they, they had no idea what it actually meant. Yeah. One thing with that, uh, I remember when I told my mom that I was an atheist, uh, her first comment was that, you know, it's one thing not to believe in God. All of us have doubted at different times, but to be an atheist? Come on. Whereas, that is exactly what an atheist is. Just someone who has no active <laughs> belief. <laughs> Take a minute and share what you observed as you listen to these two guys, as you heard their stories. You might even start thinking like, what question might you ask next if you were in a conversation like this? Because my big belief is if you're listening well, 
and you allow your curiosity to begin to percolate, your next question is going to be something that you've heard and you begin to wonder about. And that next question of asking that wondering question provides you another opportunity to listen again. And a lot of times, this is how a spiritual conversation takes place. It takes place on the listener's terms. And in a post-Christian culture, that's one of the things we as Christians got to get used to. In a, in a Christian culture, we kind of held the, the high ground because a lot of people ascribed to the Christian worldview. And so we could kind of be in control of the curriculum for the conversation, and people weren't like put out by that. But today, not so much. We've got to learn to give up our need to control the curriculum for the conversation and start where they are. So just take a moment in your twosome. Maybe what question might you ask next, or what did you pick up on here? Maybe some of you hopefully noticed that one of the things I did in this conversation is I stopped and I asked them to define the terms. A lot of times we make assumptions, we hear things, we rush to judgment, we think something like being an atheist means this, when to them it means something different. It's really important a lot of times just to stop and define terms. I hope you didn't miss that in this interaction. When I'm listening to people, I'm uh, listening to their story and what their interests are, what motivates them, what their needs are, and where they are with God. Uh, if you want to uh, read a fantastic book written by a friend of mine, it's called Finding Common Ground, Communicating with Those uh, who are outside the Christian community while we still can. And uh, part of the big idea here in this book is how important it is to find common ground. And what is, I believe, happening today in our culture is there's just this in intense polarization that's happening politically. Uh, there's an intense polarization that's happening in terms of um, you know, Christians are being pigeonholed as, as uh, hateful people because of maybe some of the ways we've postured ourselves uh, and talked about um, the gay community, or we could go down a list of different things that have caused others to look at us as hateful people instead of people who are filled with love and joy and peace and patience. And so, if you're going to build a bridge between uh, people who are on the other side... The, the, the best place to build a bridge, the wisest place to build a bridge is where the banks are the closest. And so it's really important that we find common ground. And uh, I think if you're sitting here going, listen, I don't have anything in common with somebody who's an atheist. Um, I'm going to stop right now and say, oh yeah, you do. Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Did you go to high school? Do you have stress? Do you have anxiety? You know, I mean, we could go through a whole list of different topics that we share in common with other people. We're, if you would, we're fellow sojourners through life. We're spiritual beings on a human journey. We have life in common. And so what we need to do as we listen to others is to find those places where we have common ground. I think this would be a way cool like uh, assignment for everybody here at Covenant. Between now and Christmas, what if everybody here this morning took upon themselves to say, you know, between now and Christmas, I'm just going to talk to God about one person he's putting on my heart, and I just want to take him out for coffee, 
Take them out for a meal and say, you know, I've never heard your story. I just want to hear your story. And just as you hear their story, just begin to listen and find that common ground. As I uh, listen to people's stories, the next step is uh, I really seek to understand. I'm not trying to be understood because, you know, First Peter says uh, to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. And then the next phrase says to anyone who asks you. A lot of times we want to give people answers to questions they're not even asking. A lot of times we want to tell people things they're not ready and willing to hear. And when we do that, we actually close down the potential for God's space to be created. But a lot of times what we need to do is build trust in the relationships so that people actually feel comfortable with us and feel like if they did ask us a spiritual question, we wouldn't oversupply and kill the demand. We wouldn't overwhelm them or we wouldn't try to get them to go someplace they're not ready to go. So sometimes that takes time. So instead of seeking to be understood, we should probably uh, begin by seeking to understand them. And I'm going to do that here in this next clip. Check this out. I had a, a moment uh, where I actually was doing something like this in the city of Columbus, Ohio. And, and uh, the gentleman on stage with me, he said, I don't think you as Christians get it. He said, you know, you guys have each other. You can share your problems and the things you're going through. For me as an atheist, um, I don't have a community of atheists that I can really hang out. Yeah, we have conferences every once in a while, but even when we get together, we have so much that we disagree on that it's not like there's a lot of... Can you unpack some of that? Like some of the challenges you feel like that are unique to having this worldview and some of the things that would help us maybe seek to understand what it's like to live where you're living. Yeah, I mean, on the aspect of a community for that, there just there are no atheist churches, really. There's some groups out there that are trying to make that happen, but they're not too large. So the idea of being in Saddleback as a, as a child, we always had groups around. There was always a community to go talk to, someone to go find. And uh, Paul right here is one of my better friends. But in essence, if we're ever going to go meet up and talk about things, we have to travel state lines to go do it. So you just don't find people who share the same ideas or, or in the same category, at least, outside of a church environment. So you end up being a little more isolated. Huh. Yeah, I think the biggest part about the atheist community is that it's, it's primarily online. So it's not like you're surrounded by friends that you can hang out with or have support with. It's you can type each other. So, and the majority of the money in any of any of the religious movements is in the Christian movement. So if someone needs help, the atheist movement's not a place to go to because they don't have any money backing them. The irony is I'm sitting here listening to both you guys that both of you actually come from backgrounds where belief uh, was part of your upbringing. Could you pinpoint if it was a defining moment or and I know you kind of mentioned not seeing the authentic expression mm -hmm. of faith lived out, but was there, was there something where it's kind of like saying, you know what, this is just all uh, BS. I mean, there's, there's nothing to this, and I am completely moving away from it. Is there a, a certain moment, a certain thing, or is it just a gradual process? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. In, okay. in almost every case. Uh, 
It's definitely a gradual process, and it's, it's a really painful process. You don't come to it overnight. Uh, for me, there were probably three or four major incidents that, that happened. Um, I got thoroughly destroyed in an argument with an atheist, so I went to go research more. And then we had four guys die in Iraq, and I was like, what's the point? Um, and then when you research and you well, discover... Can we stop there for just I'm going to yeah. break in on that, because that, that's a very intriguing comment. Mm -hmm. You say destroyed by an atheist. Was there one particular question, thought that... It was the entire brought... conversation. Um, okay. He basically knew the Bible better than I knew it, and he wasn't a Christian. Uh -huh. So, which is probably the case the majority of the time. Atheists know more about religion than most religious people. And yeah, I've, yeah. I've found that to be true the majority of the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, for myself, I can't really pick out an exact moment. I, it would even be hard for me to say if I ever really believed. I just can't make that type of statement. I've never seen an act of supernatural. I've never seen an, uh, something that is fully unexplainable in that way. But the first time I really sat down and read the Bible as an adult was in basic training. I sat down and read it from cover to cover. And my reaction to it, uh, you've read the Bible. You've seen what that says. It's not so much a... Uh, that there are bad things in it, it's shocking that you don't expect to see many of those things in there. And it starts coming off, at least in my view for it, that um, it's written on a different time frame. And it's many parts of it are, are explanatory tales of 2,000 year old problems. And I don't see uh, authentic answers on that besides what they would think at that time frame. You ever had this experience? Um... You judge the book by its cover. You may be even repulsed by somebody. And then all of a sudden you heard their story. And in the moment, you're, you completely lose this previous perception you had of them because now you're identifying with them as a human being. As I listened to these two guys, my heart started to break. I'm like, these guys are lonely. I mean, they don't have the fellowship like we're experiencing here this morning. Hey, you fall on hard times? The atheists aren't going to come around and, and come along and support you and walk through this with you financially. As I listen to these two guys, the heart of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, instead of seeing them as an enemy or somebody who you know, was opposed to my point of view, now all of a sudden we have something in common. I'm... I'm I'm here in their humanness. And now all of a sudden, like some of the demonization that happens when we're polarized and we're, we're thinking and, and, and kind of putting everybody in a box, all of a sudden now we change the way we view. And I think this is so, so very powerful when we hear people's stories. Here's a thought that might spin your head this morning. Um, have you ever stopped to think that God might want to use our conversations with not yet Christians to save us. Meaning that as we listen to other people, maybe we're confronted with some attitudes that we have that really are not Christ-like. And that God might actually use our conversations with not yet Christians to kind of do something in us. See, a lot of times I think we think we're going out to save others, but there's stuff in us that needs to change as well. And I remember one guy I was talking to, a not yet Christian, he said, Hey, if it's an authentic conversation, a really authentic conversation, 
both parties have got to be willing to be influenced by some of what they're hearing. They've got to open themselves up. And I thought, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And in this moment, I was influenced by just how what I'd heard from them and how, how sad I was that they had not experienced an authentic expression of faith. That they saw a lot of fakeianity, if you want to call it that. And they decided to chuck the whole thing. I'm like, I wonder what would have happened younger in their younger days if they just would have maybe met somebody who was really walking tightly with Jesus, who was spirit-filled. I just wonder how this conversation might look. A couple of months ago, there was an article or some research released by Barna and I found it very fascinating because he basically interviewed not yet Christians, what they want from faith conversations. Now, we started the day by looking at Colossians 4 5, being wise towards outsiders. Here is a place where you can kind of add to your sense of what it looks like to be wise towards outsiders. Because what Barna actually did is went out and did some on the street interviews to find out what non Christians are wanting if they were going to have a spiritual conversation with us. And I want you to observe and watch and look at what they had to say. Their number one response is that they wish that we would just be people who could listen without judgment. Now what's inferred with that is that we often, when we hear something we don't agree with, we immediately want to pounce and we want to tell them why they are wrong and we are right. They aren't really looking for that. They aren't looking for conversations where we stand up, if you would, and talk down to them and moralize to them. But they are looking for people who will listen to them without judgment. Second greatest response was that they're looking for Christians who would not attempt to force a conclusion. You see, sometimes I think we, we've been raised with this idea that, wow, not only do I, you know, I've, I've got to be looking for that hole in one. I, I've got to kind of you know, i got to go from sowing and immediately to harvesting. And so we can kind of want to push because we feel like it has to all happen in the moment. Can I just say, as one who's been out there and talked to lots of other evangelists, very rarely does it ever just happen in one big conversation. There are a few Damascus Road conversion stories out there. Most audiences, it's less than 10%. But for over 90% of the people in God's kingdom, it was a process. It was one touch at a time. It was one conversation at a time. It was one aha at a time. And so we could just wrap our heads around that. We could relax and realize it doesn't all have to happen in this just this one moment. Third highest response. Allows others to draw their own conclusions. Instead of foisting our worldview upon them and saying, hey, you must believe this, Let's respect their dignity and realize, hey, make up your own mind. Even God does that with us, right? He says, choose this day whom you will serve. He gives us the freedom to choose. And I think we need to be fair about that in our conversations. Last time I was here, I gave you a test. And I thought, you know what? I, I, with, with, there's no apologies here. I want to see how you're doing. Because last time I was here, I said, hey, probably nothing creates God's space faster, especially in a post-Christian culture, than we show up as listeners because 
Nothing feels more like love than to be listened to. So, here are ten phrases. Hey, when others are talking to you, count how many yes responses you have as you work your way through these ten. And then I'll share a resource with you that I did last time that you might find helpful. So go ahead and work your way through this list. If I remember right, last time, almost everybody here flunked the test. I said three or more yeses and you flunked the test. I'm hoping that we do a little better today because I know some of you have maybe uh, picked up a copy of this book, Listening for Heaven's Sake, and let me tell you, this book was written for Presbyterians. I don't say that just to, that's not a shot at you because it was written by Presbyterians. Three of them in Cincinnati. I know them all well. And uh, this book has been used by God. There's over a million copies been sold. And ultimately, it was the book God used in my own life to help me start my recovery as an evangelist because I realized I was a horrible listener. And as I began to read this book, I realized, man, I really need to make some changes in this particular area. So if you flunked the test again this morning and you still haven't picked up a copy of that book, I don't know. Most men need to hear things two times. That's all I got to say about that. One of the things I like to do in a conversation is take what I call a sniff test. Now, you guys know, if you know much about Cincinnati, uh, I live in the town where Procter & Gamble does their thing, and and there's actually women who sign up to... um, uh, basically sniff armpits to determine whether or not P&G's underarm deodorant is actually working. I'd just like to have a job like that, ladies. But I think there's some real, uh, some real practical help here in this idea because I think one of the things I like to do is take a sniff test in my conversations. You're saying, what are you talking about? Well, what sniff tests do is they tend to increase our awareness. And, uh, you know, when we take a sniff test, we can kind of get an idea of what kind of aroma. The Bible says we're supposed to be the sweet aroma of Christ, but not everybody kind of has that attitude about us as Christians (laughs) that maybe sometimes we're giving off an aroma that's not all that pleasant. So what I attempt to do in conversations is I I take a sniff test because... um, this Jahari window that's been very helpful to me, I think this is true of all of us, that, that we all need to increase our awareness. And one of the things that happens when we have conversations with not yet Christians is we can maybe begin to see ourselves as a community or even as a Christian differently because maybe we have some blind spots that other people uh, begin to poke at. Um, let me just for a moment go on a little rant here because you got to understand, if you were in my shoes and you traveled around the country and um, you came from an athletic background like I did, I hate losing. I really don't like to lose. I'll be honest about it. And man, it's killing me. It is killing me to watch the church in America lose. Every year we're losing people. Our churches are dying on the vine. And a lot of times it's because they have blind spots, because they formed a little holy huddle, 
They don't have anybody giving them, them any objectivity about themselves. And so they kind of live in a sound bubble where they just talk to themselves. And they don't understand while their numbers are dwindling. Have you ever stopped to think that the greatest help maybe you could have and get would actually be from people outside the church who could actually step in and see you as you really are to them? Because if you're serious about reaching them, you need to better understand how they think and feel and, and how they would react by coming into your service. If not, you could become very irrelevant to the point where you're not engaging anyone. You're spending all your time and money playing home games. You're spending all your time and money talking to yourselves. And I'm looking across America saying, doggone it, I'm in the locker room at halftime, we're getting our tails kicked, and nobody's willing to change their strategy. We continue to say, come and see, come and see. Nobody's coming and seeing. It's time we go and be. It's time we learn how to play away games. It's time we learn how to engage people who are presently not yet a part of us. Okay, climbing off my soapbox. Just had to get that out of my system. You see, what sniff tests do is they increase our awareness. There are things that are known to us and others, and we can call this common ground. There are things that are known uh, to uh, us, but not known to others, and these are things we hide. And there are things that we hide from each other as believers. And then there are things that are not known to us, but known to others in the body of Christ, and these are blind spots. And one of the things that we need to open ourselves up to in, in, in terms of our spiritual journey is growing and realizing as iron sharpens iron, God wants to use our relationships to actually maybe create some sparks and help us maybe see some things that we could presently be blind to. Then there's some other things in our life that are only known to God. Only through revelation and prayer are these hidden things going to be, become known to us and known to others. Well, I'm going to attempt to demonstrate what that could look like by doing a sniff test. I would imagine, being that you guys are at least willing to come up here on the stage, that you've had numerous conversations, whether it be in your military background or with people you grew up in high school, well-meaning Christians who've tried to save you. Um, what was that like for you? For myself, I used to run a booth called Ask an Atheist, which was in the middle of my uh, college and, well, my community college in Colorado Springs. And we had a lot of foot traffic go through, so I would have three, four hours a day of these conversations for an extended period of time. And I, honestly, I love proselytizers. I love people wanting to come over and talk to me about what they think and why they think it because if they truly believe there is a literal heaven and hell and they're not talking to me, I have to consider that person immoral because they don't care about my well-being. That's interesting you make that comment. Maybe some of you have seen the uh, clip out there by Penn Juliet, um, Penn and Teller show, and uh, he kind of does, uh, some guy come up to him, approach mm -hmm. him, give him a Bible um, after one of his shows, one of the Gideons. Yeah. And um, he just went public and said, hey, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Mm -hmm. He said, if you really believe there's a heaven and a hell, how much do you have to hate somebody not to want to talk to them about this place? And you're kind of saying the same thing there, Adam, that, hey, you, you, authenticity for you, what 
would be if this is what you say you believe then i would expect that you would move towards me mm -hmm. or otherwise you just don't even care about me or care about what you say you really believe is that is that a fair representation i think that's a perfect representation yeah. what pendulet does in that is rather correct and i the conversations that i tend to have people are almost scared to go talk about their religion and i i've never i can understand why in polite society we think we shouldn't but these are supposed to be some of the most deeply held convictions of our life, our truest beliefs, the things that matter to us the most. Why not? Why aren't people talking about that? Yeah. And if it's because of social fear or social awkwardness, my answer to that is always get over it. If you're yeah. really trying to help. Yeah. It's good advice. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you tell this group of people going back to their campuses not to do to have conversations with people uh, who either have a, a, an atheistic perspective or just just don't believe in the Christian message, things that you are you've experienced that have been real turnoffs to you. Um, ask to pray with them. It's really annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, at, just to unpack that. So yeah, for you, um, the annoying aspect it's, is it's a waste of time for me. Can I jump in? On yeah, that one? jump on, brother. There is no distinction at all between my uh, my view between someone saying can I come up with you and pray with you compared to someone walking up and saying can I sacrifice a goat in your honor and can you please help me with the sacrifice <laughs> I see no physical difference between the two I am not going to go judge someone over which one they want to do but because I don't see any actual action coming out of that it gives me a giggle yeah and another one we brought up earlier was uh, when when people will say God bless you in a condescending, patronizing tone, at the very end, which is kind of like giving the middle finger. That's what it feels like. Hmm. Anything from you, Adam, on that? What what not to do? Things that you've experienced Christians do, even though they might have been well-intentioned, they just might have been blind to how they were coming across. Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say in many ways, read read their Bible. I don't want to be the most knowledgeable person out about a Bible in a conversation about someone else's religion. So if someone's going to talk to me about, oh, let's say Calvinism or some form of determinism, and tell me that that happens to be their belief, I'd like them to know a little more about it than I do. And I don't mind that being the first couple of conversations. But just ass don't assume that I've never heard of the name Jesus and that somehow I've been living in a cultural vacuum all of my life and that this is brand new information to me. And I would say, not only just know the context of what's in the Bible, but outside it. How did it come into being? What's the history of Christianity itself? If you don't know the history of your own religion, and I know more about it than you, why would I want to listen to you? And that's something I experience a lot, yeah. because I know a lot more about the history of how it was written oh. than most Christians do. Yeah, I definitely don't want to be patronizing and say, ha, 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 I know everything right. in the Bible and you know nothing. It's just the average person on the street who says, have you heard of the good news about our Lord and Savior Jesus? Tends not to know what three, John 3.16 says. So, yeah. Yeah. This might rock your world a little bit, Adam, but you actually might be being used by God right now to speak to a few people. Well, <laughs> I mean, hell. <laughs> You know, that is one of the many reasons. I, um, I might look like someone you're talking about. So, he might be closer than you think. Well, thanks for keeping it real. Um, um, 
<laughs> um, in your twosomes, what are you feeling? What are you thinking right now? And as you watch this and you kind of saw what a sniff test might look like, what did you learn from these two atheists about what not to do? Go for it. Talk about it amongst yourselves. I almost hate to break this up because I love to see God's people dialoguing with each other because I believe as we express what the Holy Spirit's impressing that that deepens the impression. But uh, we have more to talk about this morning and uh, I think some more ideas that might help you increase the quantity and the quality of your spiritual conversations. Some of you right now though might be feeling this. Hey, in light of what I just heard, I know I don't know my Bible well enough to talk to these guys. Uh, I don't want to run into guys like this. I don't know what I would say. And so many people I find their greatest fear is like, Doug, you know, I really want to, but I just don't want to get out there because I know they're going to ask me a question I can't answer. How many of you feel like that's kind of where you're at this morning? Well, let me, let me tell you this. Um, that should not neutralize you or stymie you or put you in a fetal position. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us could know the Bible better. I think David would admit, I would admit that, you know, I could always add to my present knowledge. When, you know, and so it raises the question, when do I know enough to finally be used of God? Yeah, you look at the woman at the well and she didn't know anything. She just knows she encountered Jesus and she went to the, to the town and said, come and meet the man who told me everything about myself. And God used her with that little knowledge that she had because she was willing to be faithful to what she did have. So here's my thought. If you're sitting here this morning, you don't feel very confident or competent because you don't know all that much about the Bible. Hey, you know what? What happens is, when you're in a conversation and somebody asks you a question and you don't have an answer, don't fake it. Don't fudge it. Just stop and authentically say, you know what? That's a great question. And to be honest, I don't have an answer. But I do know somebody. My pastor, David, he studies stuff like this all the time. <laughs> and I'm willing to get him. Or, you know, I'm willing to do some homework. I'm willing to read a book and get back to you, if that's a big, important question to you, I want to go do my homework and come back. So in a very real sense, instead of feeling like we're put on the spot and we failed God because we don't have an answer to somebody's tough question, just stop and acknowledge it. Just be honest, authentic. I have found that not yet Christians, what really turns them off are the Christians who come across like know-it-alls, like the shell answer man who's got an answer for everything. And they always offer dogmatic certainty. The reality is there's a lot of things that we just don't know. And sometimes, folks, we just have to humbly offer mystery. There are things. What do you do? 911 hits. There were Christians sharing stories of how God rescued them. But there are other Christians on that plane 
knowing this were the last moments of their life. Why didn't God rescue them? You run into a question like that, don't try to, don't try to offer an answer. Because you don't have one. And if you pretend like you do, people write you off and say, listen, come on, man. We live in the real world. That just doesn't cut it. Interesting to me that after 911, and I was up there in New York City, I was down in the pit, engaging with people. The stories that would come out afterwards is that pastors, clerics, priests, you take the different people from the different faiths, they were leaving their professions in New York City by the droves. You know why? Because people were asking them the hard questions and they didn't feel like they had adequate answers that satisfied them. And so they felt like phonies and they quit their jobs. It's because they were confronted with questions they couldn't answer. Hey, if the Apostle Paul said, I see through glasses dimly, in other words, there's things I don't even comprehend as the Apostle Paul, the guy who probably had the greatest revelation of God of anybody, I'm thinking if he said that, you and I ought to be okay with mystery. And that sometimes that's all we offer. And you know what? For a lot of people, that's actually very satisfying. It's like, that's really real. That's very authentic. And I accept that. I receive that. Well, let's move on in this conversation with Paul and Adam. And I want you to know that, hey, if you're listening well and you're seeking to understand and maybe you take a sniff test or two, If people aren't asking you questions and you'd like to give the answers you'd like to give them, you just need to, to be asking more questions. And um, I believe curiosity is something God has given all of us. The God-given inquisitiveness to better understand the world around us. When we are wondering, we come as listeners and learners, not experts. This allows us to humbly explore the lives and worldviews of others in a natural, engaging way. Wondering is not attached to a particular path, but it is very intentional about raising sincere questions in an effort to better understand someone and their belief system. Wondering helps others think in ways they may have never thought before. Great questions stimulate great thoughts. Chuck Colson, the late Chuck Colson, uh, believed that, hey, the question mark may offer the greatest hope in a post-Christian culture. And for a lot of us who are older, this is going to mean a cultural shift in our own thinking because many of us were trained to be answer people. That's the way I was trained. I traveled with Josh McDowell. I was trained in apologetics. I was trained to bring answers. And I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for that. But I find that usually doesn't occur in my first conversation. It's later down the road. Chuck Colson makes this point in this piece. Listen to what he has to say. Apologists to ask people questions. If you ask the people the right questions, you'll force them to carry their own beliefs to their logical conclusion. The same process will enable you to challenge the presuppositions of your secular friends on a host of issues. We don't have to be great philosophers. We have to be wise enough to know the good questions to ask. We can simply force people to follow the logic of their own belief system to the ultimate consequences of their beliefs. That's something everybody can learn to do. You might not feel very adequate right now about asking these kinds of questions. That's all right. You've got to start somewhere. 
you know, when you're teaching your kids how to ride a bike, you don't say, you know, I know you know how to do this, so I guess the rest of your life, you know, you're hosed because, you know, I mean, I got this bike for you, but you don't know how to ride it. No, you teach them to get on it and say, hey, you might crash a few times. You're going to learn some things. The same thing, if you don't feel like you're that great at asking the kinds of questions that I'm asking on the screen with these guys, hey, you got to start somewhere. And the truth of the matter is, most of us will fail to get the right question in the moment. Just going to be honest with you, that's just what I've learned from God's people all over the world. But here's the deal. You might not have the right question in the moment, but that actually might be a protection for you. Because instead of coming up with some question that's kind of half-baked, a lot of times what I encourage God's people to do is listen, like this, this next week you're going to hear some things at the office or with other people on your route. Think about what you hear and then step back and start praying about, God, what am I curious about? What, what am I wondering about? And, and uh, maybe even if you're in a small group, kind of bounce it off them and have a little wondering brainstorming session where you start to think about, hey, what am I wondering about? And, and then kind of create a question that you feel like really represents your sincere curiosity. You can come back a week later, even a month later, and say, you know, a month ago we were talking about something and you really piqued my curiosity, which is true. It's, if that's true, it's sincere, it's coming. And I found that people are so blown away that you're still thinking about something they said a month ago. It really kind of just catches them. Say, so here's what I'm wondering. And all of a sudden, you're right back into that conversation. And instead of missing the opportunity, you've actually taken some time to be wise towards an outsider. And that question that you ask, often we're just one good question away from a great spiritual conversation. Here's the question I asked Adam and Paul that day on the stage. Listen to you, that's a word It sounds like both of you have keyed in on the, the authentic aspect. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. That you've seen a lot of disingenuous expressions of people who supposedly um, have faith. Um, if that's true, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm getting you on that, do you feel like you are, in terms of your journey, open if you saw an authentic expression to reconsider all this or you feel kind of like hey i'm i'm definitely sure that i could never kind of go back not to not and let me let me say what i mean by that not to go back to maybe some of the fundamentalist kinds of things you saw but but this is something that intrigues you something that you you kind of say there's something real there something real I'm curious, it's, you know, you guys uh, had a lot of experience, it sounds like, the military aspect uh, of your life, and, and that's where you guys connected. That's where your journey in terms of meeting, cross, crossing uh, each other's paths. Have, thus far in your journey, have you uh, ever met anyone or experienced anything that for you at least caused you to turn your head and go, wow, now, that's intriguing. In other words, that authenticity thing that you were actually speaking to earlier, um, feel like you've saw, had an experience, met someone, because you go, huh? Uh, the closest I can come up with on that type of thing, if they were authentic and they fully believed it, we do have to understand that that would have absolutely no bearing on its truth claim. And so that's the difference to me. 
just because someone fully believes and fully acts it out does not mean it's true. So the best that I can say is that there's someone right there who absolutely believes and it's awesome to see them, but they can't change my mind off of that alone. So as far as that, just a different category for me. But as yeah. for a supernatural event or something that I had experience of my own, I can't say I ever have. Nothing, nothing that's showed up on your radar screen is like that had to be from God. Well, I've had many a time where I uh, was doing my laundry and I found an extra $20 when I needed to go out and buy some beer. <laughs> but that's about as close as those situations have gone for me. Right. Uh, I think growing up for me, uh, I had a lot of emotional experiences, especially in the church. But I don't think I can equate that. They were very subjective. It was very personal. And I don't think I can take something that's emotional and be like, well, that was God touching me. There's no objective proof behind that. And that's where the doubt has to come in and just, I don't want to put faith into something that nobody can truly actually know. Because if somebody out there knows there's God, they have proof of it. And if you're withholding it, you're the most selfish person in the world. So by saying that, is it the dogmatic certainty that's the big turnoff? That's there? a huge turnoff. Dogmatic certainty. If no one knows, let's be honest, nobody here knows. You have faith, you believe, but nobody can prove it. Nobody has the absolute knowledge of it. And so many Christians pretend to hold on to this secret knowledge. And if you really have it and you're not sharing it with the world, you're the most selfish person on the planet. Because everyone wants to know, even the atheists. If there's a God and you can prove it, let me know. Yeah. Another mystery is solved. Some interesting perspective, isn't it? Did you listen to these two? Uh, they've obviously spent a lot of time thinking about this topic of God. Can you see if I would have led with maybe dogmatic certainty and apologetic, uh, you know, just right out of the gate, how this conversation would have been over before it ever got started? I mean, based on what you just learned here. And uh, can you also see how questions create more space uh, for conversation to continue to happen? Well, ultimately, in any conversation, uh, we come to a point maybe where there is an opening. There is an opportunity for us to share a thought or two about our own worldview. And I think we have to do this with what I call convicted civility. I just wish, oh gosh, would it be a breath of fresh air. If, wouldn't it be nice to get up someday and see the Democrats and Republicans actually respecting one another Listening to one another. Hey, I'm all for American being great, but man, we, if America's going to be great, America needs to be kind again. And if we're going to be kind again, that means in our conversations, we're going to have to do those with convicted civility, that I'm going to actually have to respect somebody else whose worldview is completely different than mine. Instead of yelling at them and screaming at them, you're wrong because the Bible says. You're not going to argue anybody into a new way of thinking. I see a lot of married people here today. How's that been working for you lately? Is that working your marriage? It doesn't even work with somebody you're married with, typically. How's it going to work with somebody who shares a completely different worldview? And yet every day, my goodness, whether it's our president, Nancy Pelosi, or you just start going down the list, you watch the news and it's just like, when is this ever going to stop? It's just like, ah, 
Because it, it's, it's just pointless. It's not getting either side anywhere because neither side is listening to one another. What if we start showing up ready to compassionately listen? It doesn't mean we're offering endorsement to what we're hearing. It just means that, hey, I'm, I'm a human being giving you the respect that because you're created in the image of God, even though you have a different view than I, you're created in the image of God, and so I want to respect that and actually listen for heaven's sake. But when we do have a chance to speak, I think we need to speak with civility and with conviction. And uh, there's a moment here in our conversation where um, we kind of head down that path. Here it goes listen to you that's a word it sounds like both of you keyed in on the, the authentic aspect yes uh, mm -hmm. that you've seen a lot of disingenuous expressions of people who supposedly um, have faith um, if that's true and I'm and I'm and I'm getting you on that do you feel like you are in terms of your journey open if you saw an authentic expression to reconsider all this or you feel kind of like hey I'm I'm definitely sure that I could never kind of go back not to not and let me let me say what I mean by that not to go back to maybe some of the fundamentalist kinds of things you saw but but this is something that intrigues you something that you, you kind of say there's something real there something real I'm curious, it's, you know, you guys uh, had a lot of experience, it sounds like, the military aspect. I'm sorry, somehow that slide got jacked up, and it's the same one we just saw, as you probably just saw. Um, not sure what happened there. Sorry for that. Might be the next slide. Nope. You know, inevitably on the golf course, uh, you hit one in the water, you shank one in the woods, and... And uh, a lot of times it takes a specialty club to, to get yourself out of that situation. Um, this morning we're going to take a brief time just to kind of open it up for some Q&A. Because maybe you found yourself in a situation that you think might be helpful if other people... Uh, I don't claim to walk on water like Tiger did there. But uh, I've been out in the play in the golf course all over the world, been to 42 different countries, had lots of different conversations with lots of different people, and... And uh, maybe uh, I might have some uh, insight that might help you in a situation you found yourself in. Or maybe you have a question that resulted as a result of watching Adam and Paul today in this conversation. Let me, let me before I open it up for Q&A, maybe we can get a, a roving mic. Would that be helpful? I think it would be if we have one of those. Uh, if we could do that, that'd be awesome. But um, let me share what, in the spirit of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story um, here's what happened. Uh, after this conversation, uh, Adam and Paul pulled me aside and said, hey, I want to tell you something. This is the best experience we've ever had with Christians. And if you ever want to do this again, just call us, man. We would love to do uh, another one of these. And so they were running off to catch their airplane and uh, Paul said, man, I, I got to hurry. I got to get to my, catch my plane to Chicago. And that's the last thing that was said between us. And uh, the next week, as I was preparing for the next, my next visit, I started thinking about their comment. I started thinking about Paul's comment of being 
going to Chicago, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to call him and see if by chance that maybe he lives in Chicago, because that's where the church is that I'm going to. And I call him, and sure enough, this is a day ahead of my visit, uh, he, he lives 15 minutes from the church that I was going to speak at in Chicago, of all places. And I said, Paul, I said, you know, I know this is only a day's notice. He goes, oh yeah, man, I'd love to do that. So he comes over to uh, the church, and uh, we do another two-hour uh, conversation on stage, and at the end of the time, someone in the back of the room says, all right, Paul, and I really didn't like the tone. I think the guy was a little offended that an atheist was in his church, and he really didn't like atheists, and he just kind of put out that we even did this. So he said, all right, Paul, now that you've had two of these God space conversations with Doug, what's changed? That was what he said. I'm kind of like, who are you? I'm coming after you, man. I mean, haven't you heard anything? What kind of compassion? What kind of response is that? Before I even, I haven't had a chance, because I was ready to step up. I was ready to say something. I just thought it was so out of place. Paul says, I just want to tell you something. I, I, I speak with lots of Christians. This guy is Mikey Feinstein's number one disciple. You know anything about Mikey Feinstein? He, he, uh, he, Mikey Feinstein gets anything in the military shut down that has any spiritual overtones. I was speaking at the Pentagon. Franklin Graham was following me the month after. They shut Franklin Graham down and kept him from coming because Mikey Feinstein did some homework and found out that Franklin Graham had said some things about Muslims. These guys are militant. They are serious. And Paul steps up and says, I, I just want to say that these last two weeks with Doug have been the greatest experience I've ever had with Christianity. He started to tear up. He's fighting back tears right in front of this audience. And then he does something that freaks me out. I'm sitting here in a stool like this, he comes over to me and says, Doug, I just want to thank you. This has meant so much to me. And he reaches out in front of the audience and gives me a giant hug in front of the whole audience. This militant, hardened atheist. And ultimately, I believe, it was because he'd been shown respect. And ultimately, because I listened to him, because I gave him time on the stage, I gave him a chance to be heard, that he actually experienced kindness, the kindness of God. Was he ready to become a Christian? No. But remember, in terms of the golf course analogy, the idea is to kind of move the ball. Here's what happened. As a result of him being 15 minutes from the church, he and the pastor started to meet weekly for coffee. Hey folks, I, I really just believe that when we show up in our worlds, on our routes, on our golf courses, and we create some God space, supernatural things begin to happen. Well, regrettably, um, I guess I've been a little too long-winded. We're probably not going to have time for questions. That doesn't mean I won't take any. Afterwards, I'm going to be back at the book table. If you want to pick up a copy or you just want to talk, I'll be back there to, to, to handle those questions that you might have shared here. I do want to play one more clip as we uh, have our time together today. Um, kind of want to end with this, just an encouragement to you. Uh, I'll show it and then explain it uh, when it's finished. Here we go. 
one swing, Roy. One good swing. has a chance. It's got to go. This has got a chance. I think he's done it. Little gust there, Rome's. Seven hitting his eighth shot. This is the last ball you got in the bag, Roy. You get this one wet, we're disqualified. I can make it across. Well, then do it. Oh, dear Lord, please. Oh, dear Lord. Covenant Church, you need to keep swinging the club. Almost everybody I've ever met who's become a Christian said something like this. I had somebody in my life who didn't give up on me. Some of you become weary. You got family members. You just... Pray. But we need to put legs on our prayers. We need to engage people in conversation. We need to play our course. The Bible says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. So many people today, their journey to faith, 10, 15, 20 years, What I want you to know this morning is, you know, God doesn't give up. He continues to draw and woo, and we need to be persistent and faithful 
to continue to play our golf course. Keep swinging your clubs. God wants to use you. Don't become weary. Don't give up. There are people out there who God desires to be in here. But the propensity of them being in here is all about how many people from here will leave this church on Sunday and go out there and be the church Monday through Saturday. And I believe if that's what you're committed to, the best days of covenant church are ahead of you. Because there's people that God wants to add to your number. You commit yourself to be faithful. I believe you will see people come to faith. It's been a great privilege to come back and I'm uh, honored that, that I could, could come back here a second time. Uh, again, I, I, I do regret that I was not able to give time for Q&A here in this time, but that doesn't mean your questions aren't important to me and I'll be back at the book table afterwards. At this point, I think the worship band is going to come and close us with couple of sets on the worship scene and David has some things to share so hey great being with you this morning thanks so much sure thanks for thinking.